Thank you for listening to The Meanderings of a Librarian. This episode, number 25, is titled, What Does the Future Hold? And it is inspired by a film, actually. Lately, life has been very busy. Uh, For those of you in the teaching field, if you are writing comments, narratives about all of your students, that's what's been keeping me pretty busy. Um, But I'm nearing the end here, so I'm going to start reading for pleasure again. As a librarian, I should do that every day, but sometimes it just becomes impossible. And it's been a while since I watched a movie, but watched a movie the other night with Steve called Free Guy, or how else should I pronounce this? Free Guy. I don't know, but it was really clever. It's an amazing film, and I encourage everyone to get out there and watch it. It's directed by Sean Levy. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, Lil Rel Howie, uh, Utkarsh Ambadkar, Joe Kiri, and Taika Waititi. And it's, <laughs> you, you have to let yourself um, be open-minded if you really aren't into video games because much of this movie is played or is viewed from within a video game. So, but but stay with me here, cause cause it's worth it. I at first I'm like rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this gonna be? But I stuck with it and I kept my open mind. And I'm so glad I did, cause it was a fabulous. It is a fabulous movie. So there's this one character who is actually an NPC. So for those of you who don't play video games like me, I used to a long time ago. I loved this game named. Road Rash. It was really fun. It kind of reminded me of this video, this video that was in the film. But an NPC is a non-playing character. So these are characters that are just in the background of a video game. They, you know, you can pull out one of your weapons and blow them up, or you know, whip them with a chain, or kick them, or punch them, or whatever. It's 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 kind of cartoony violence, but but it is violence nonetheless. And um, so these are NPCs. Well, there's this one NPC and his name is Guy. And he's a bank teller and he goes to work every day, wakes up every day and looks through his fish tank and all this. And then all of a sudden, he kind of starts to come to life. I don't want to give away too many spoilers. I'm just going to say that. But once I realize what's happening in this movie, I'm like, oh, there's some deep stuff going on here. And coincidentally, during the month of December, I often do some coding work with all of my kindergarten through grade five students. There is a celebration, a program and activity that happens, I don't know how many years this has been going on, probably a good 10 years. And it's called Hour of Code, which was created by this nonprofit organization of the same name, Hour of Code, and there's been all kinds of spin-offs from that, and lots of other coding companies um, have jumped in on this, and it's really all about just getting kids excited about coding, which doesn't take much to get them excited because they love computer. you know, most of them, they love computers and what they do and playing video games and all of this. But for me, it pulls me back to a computer class I took, a programming class, undergraduate school. I didn't even, I went to Tufts and I didn't even take it at Tufts. 
I'm not sure if they were offering any at the time. I would often take a summer course just to help my school year be a little bit more manageable. So I took this one at the University of Connecticut, the Waterbury branch, and we learned a language called Turbo Pascal. And it was done on PCs, personal computers, and it was pretty confusing and difficult, but I got it and we were writing really simple programs. And I'm so glad that I took that course because it really helps me to understand how computers work. And then many years later, when I was getting my second master's degree at Southern, my very first library science course that I took for my master's in library science was, oh, I don't remember the name of it, but in it, our professor, one of the projects we had to do, he challenged us to, if we didn't know what Microsoft Excel was, to do a, a project with Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Word, um, and then there was PowerPoint too. There was three, and I was always, I was very familiar with all three of those. And because I don't usually take the easy way out, there was also an option to create a website using HTML, so using computer language. And I had never done that, so I thought, oh, I'm going to make a website. And this was in a six-week intense course. The professor gave you no instruction at all. You picked the project and you learned it all on your own, which is difficult to do, but it is perfect training to become a librarian because basically every piece of technology I have ever learned, I look at it, maybe I learn it through a webinar these days or learn about it from a session at one of the amazing conferences that I frequently attend, and then I basically teach myself. And it's a pretty good way to learn. It's a better way to be able to help other people learn as a teacher librarian. So it's what I do. So I decide that I'm going to create a website. And in order to do this, back in 2006, when I started getting my MLS, there weren't the easy peasy web design programs that there are today. So you really had to build them from scratch. You really had to write the code in order to make them work. So I believe I taught myself a little bit of JavaScript and I can't remember the name of the server that I used, but I've got to go back and do some research. I'm sure I can find it somewhere. I'm sure my very first website is out there still on the internet somewhere. So I've got to find it. And I think it would be really fun to show my students that too, because it's really simple, but it was very hard to do. And so one of my favorite things to show students every year when I'm working on Hour of Code is a lot of times I'll show students or I'll work with students so that they learn the basics of coding from what is called block coding. So if you can picture, there are these um, almost Lego types uh, shapes and you pull them from a work area over into a play space and each one has a line of code so it might be a when code and they're all colored and you'll pull it over into the workspace and you'll give a command when the flag is touched a green flag is touched okay so there that's a command in computer language 
when green flag is touched. And then you'll pull over a different block of code and it'll give a command or an instruction of something to do. Spin three times or whatever it is. And I like to explain to students that if they can flip up this block of code, underneath is all of the detailed code, which for you and me that are not coders and programmers, you know, for lay people, it looks like a string of numbers and letters and characters. And there's line after line after line. And depending on what this code is for, there could be 90 lines of code. There could be hundreds of lines of code. There could be thousands of lines of code. And as you can imagine, the more complicated programs have more code behind them, programming behind them. So um, there, and there is a way if you're on a computer, you can, depending on the type of computer you have, um, if you're using a Chromebook, you do like a two finger touch that gets a pop-up window and there's an option, I forget what exactly it says, something like view source. Uh, same thing on, I use a MacBook, so two finger touch on your, <clears throat> um, on your trackpad and you'll get this pop-up menu and there's an option to, you know, view the source, something like that. I like to go up to the view menu because it's very visual for kids and I show them, I click on the view, I go to view source, I click on developer and then it will, whatever page you're on, it will show the actual code behind that web page and it usually blows the kids away. Some of them are familiar with it, <clears throat> but most of them are like, oh my gosh, they have no idea that that, all that code is behind these beautiful pages that we jump from at instantaneous moments in time. So there's a lot of coding behind all of this. So um, you can, so talking about coding, and so with my third graders, we are doing a lesson from Hour of Code that is called AI in Oceans. And I often start off my classes by trying to get a feel for what my students what their level of knowledge is about coding and programming. And when I mentioned AI and oceans, you know, one of my students raises his hand and, and I call in him and he says, there is no AI right now. And I was like, aha, great comment. And we're gonna explore that this week, next week, and well, just for two weeks, because I'll only see them two weeks in December, this class. So for two weeks, we're gonna be exploring AI. And, and it was such a great comment that he made because actually during class this week and next week, we will be practicing more accurately what is called machine learning because true AI is not happening quite yet. Although this film, Free Guy, there is true AI that happens in this film and it's pretty amazing and magical. But right now what we're doing is machine learning. So my students will be using this program and they'll be teaching AI, this character who's actually called AI, um, what is a fish and what is not a fish. So there will be, for instance, those plastic, um, I don't know what the name of them is, what they're called, but you know the, the plastic things that 
uh, hold cans of beer or cans of soda together. So those plastic things. So that that plastic thing will show up, and we have to tell AI that that is not a fish, and then some fish will show up and will tell AI what is a fish, what is a ocean creature, and so we do this. Not quite hundreds of times, but in this way, we are teaching AI what is a fish and what is not a fish. So we are feeding AI data so that a an actual computer or a machine can go into the ocean and can clean up and take out everything that isn't a fish and can leave undisturbed things that are fish. Or marine life, so they're not. So those machines are not going to be touching the coral reefs, for example, because you don't want to touch coral reefs, right? You don't want to disturb an octopus、um, or anything that's living and should be living in the ocean. But you do want to get rid of the trash, the junk in the ocean. So machine learning is being used quite a bit right now, and in fact. There is an organization you can look this up. I'll put it in my、uh, description. It's called WildMe.org, and it's really fascinating what they do. This is from their website. WildMe builds open software and artificial intelligence for the con- conservation research community. We are machine learning experts and software professionals supporting you in the fight against extinction. So they're going to different parts of the world and trying to save different types of animals from extinction. So zebras, for example, or and and all sorts of of animals. So it's pretty amazing what they do, and that's a nonprofit organization. And before I get any further, I'm also going to give a de- definition of artificial intelligence, and、uh, this is from Oxford Languages. So artificial intelligence is the theory and development of computer systems. Able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision making, and translation between languages. So humans and animals have right natural intelligence. Machines can only have artificial intelligence. And in this movie, Free Guy, this. NPC, this non-playing character, starts to make decisions, and that's where it goes from a video game to actual AI. So, in this podcast called "What Does the Future Hold?", just think about that. What does our future hold? And maybe you're really excited about that. Maybe you're a little bit excited about that. Maybe you're not so excited at all about that. So think about where you fall, you know, on that spectrum about what does the future hold. And as I think of some of you who listen to this podcast regularly, I kind of know where you are on that spectrum. But and and where do I fall on that spectrum? I really like technology. There was a time in my life when I loved technology, and sometimes I do love technology. I mean, the fact that I'm able to create a podcast and share it out to the world is is pretty fun, and 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 I enjoy this. And it's a way that 
as a more introverted person, it's a way for me to share my thoughts and get my thoughts out there. Whether people are listening or not, it's, it, may, it brings me joy and, and that's always good to find things that bring you joy. Um, I think, I'm thinking about this other, I don't know if any of you out there have heard of Second Life. I'm going to, after I end this podcast, I'm going to go see if it's in existence anymore. But I would say 10 years ago or so, it was kind of all the rage. I remember going to conferences and I would sit in on sessions. I think I even created a character on Second Life. But it was a place and it was kind of like just a video game where you could go and interact with others and talk to other people through this second life space. And it's kind of fallen off the radar. I don't hear anything about it anymore. So I wonder if it's just, if the servers have just shut down or not. Um, There's an interesting scene in Free Guy uh, about servers shutting down. And, you know, what makes certain things take off technology-wise and others fall by the wayside? Why is it that certain games take off? Well, I have an idea about why. There are certain game developers, right, that are so good at hitting those dopamine hits in kids' brains and in adolescents' brains and even in, adole- and in adult brains that that's why certain games take off, right? Why do certain apps take off? Remember, some program, some app, Dragon, Dragon Veil, that's what it was called, that all the kids were doing it. And then there have been others and they just take off like lightning and, and, and all, everybody's doing them. And then, and then they quiet down and then the next big thing comes into being. So, so think about, you know, what does the future hold? And because I always like to read from a book and I haven't been doing anywhere near the kind of reading for pleasure that usually fills my life because by the time I fall into bed at night, I'm so exhausted, I just go to sleep. But this is a book that has been recommended to me many, many times, um, especially by my teacher librarian friend, Melissa, Finding Junie Kim. It's by Ellen O. And she keeps saying to me, Melissa, have you read that yet? And so it's been sitting on my nightstand. And so I began, I began to read it. And it ties in with a little bit with this idea of what does the future hold? And I'll start on page 44. In my room, and this is Junie thinking to herself, in my room, I find myself staring at the phone. And this is a regular phone. This is not a cell phone. All my friends have cell phones, and yet none of them have called me. I pick up my sketchbook, and I draw a picture of my friends laughing together as they all huddle around their cell phones. Behind them, I draw a small Junie holding a banana instead of a phone, a black cloud raining on her head. So this is talking about a student. I think she's in seventh grade. And she's kind of left out of things because she doesn't have the same technology that all of her friends have. And there are some people that can navigate, some students that can navigate through that well. But Junie is struggling, clearly struggling. And that is one of the many things that's 
making her feel different from the rest of her friends. And then there's this racist event that happens where inside of their school, someone writes some really horrible racist graffiti. And Junie Kim is American. She's Korean American. And so she looks different, right? Um, but she is through and through born and raised in the United States. So she is American. But this hits her pretty hard and her friends pretty hard too. And all of her friends look different um, from one another, but they're all Americans. And they want to do something to stop this racism in their school. And Junie is the one who feels like, why bother? It doesn't matter. And so it actually creates an argument among them. And so it pushes Junie further away from her friends. So she's pretty feeling pretty left out, miserable, and in fact, downright depressed. So she ends up going to, to see a psychiatrist and a couple of therapists. And the first one she doesn't connect with at all, but the second one she does. And Rachel is the, the second therapist's name. And on page 60, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to go back to something else. But on page 60, Rachel, the therapist, says, I want to explain what we do here in this practice. When I work with clients, I like to teach them about mindfulness and emotion regulation. I, meaning Junie, just stare at Rachel blankly. None of this makes any sense to me. And then Rachel continues, mindfulness is the ability to be in control of your mind to be present in the now without judgment or overthinking. It's just the act of being. And emotion regulation is a skill set that helps you to be in charge of yourself during periods of high emotions. That's the end of that quote. I nod. It sounds good, I guess. And then Rachel continues. Now let's send your parents out so we can get to know each other. And then Rachel and Junie continue on. And it's a really clever, clever strategy of therapy, I think. And if you're curious to find out what she does, you'll have to read the book. I'm going to go back to page 55. Um, and here the quote begins. Afterward, my parents took me out to lunch. Um, so she had gone to the psychiatrist, Junie. And so her parents take her out to lunch afterwards. We went to my favorite restaurant, a little Japanese cafe that has a Maniki Niko statue. And I think I may have pronounced it incorrectly, and I'm sorry, I didn't look it up. I usually do try to pronounce things correctly. It's this cute cat that waves its left paw up and down. So think about if you've ever seen one of those before. But that brings me right back to my parents' print shop because my cousin, who has lived most of his life in Japan, um, gave that to my parents for good luck when they opened their print shop. And then the quote continues, or the, the, the passage continues. I once asked Ms. Tomoko, our waitress, why it waved. And she explained that Minikineko means beckoning cat. And waving the left paw means it's inviting customers into the restaurant. 
and it continues from there. But that makes me think about, I still see these around and I know what they mean and I know what they're for. And so it's a bit of technology that sticks, that exists, that has been around for a long time. And it's one of those things I wonder, why is it that that beckoning cat with the paw that looks kind of cute but silly is still around, right? It's an example of one of those pieces of technology that's stuck. And so as I think about what does the future hold, I, I think about that. And then going back to that mindfulness piece um, and emotion regulation, as our world continues to change, as the future, as technology continues to change, I think we're going to need to continue to practice mindfulness and maybe practice mindfulness and emotion regulation even more because as the world gets busier and faster and crazier and more complicated, we are still human beings. And in my opinion, we still need to connect with reality, with nature, with our human side. Um, because I think if we do end up kind of looking through those 3D glasses all the time, look at so many of us that carry cell phones all the time, right? And are tracked all the time already. And we never thought, and there are so many people that, you know, talk about their freedoms and I'm not going to get a vaccine. No one's going to make me get a vaccine and I'm not going to wear a mask. And no, I'm, that is not me at all. I, I'm vaccinated and I wear masks and all of that, but there are lots of people that scream about their freedoms, right? And I don't want the government tracking me. And yet so many people carry around phones and, and lots of people and organizations and companies know exactly where we are and what we're buying and what we're doing. And even the government, right, knows that. Um, so I'll read one last passage on page 63 from Finding Junie Kim. And after she finishes the session with Rachel, when we're done, I am so relieved. I feel as if a heavy weight has just gotten a little bit lighter. My burden is still there, but now I've shared it with someone and it feels good. Maybe this therapy thing might be good for me. I don't know but I'm willing to give it a try. So as we think about what does the future hold, I think about the fact for me, certainly, I'll need to continue meditating. I'll need to continue exercising. For sure, I'll need to continue reading and absolutely I'll need to continue connecting with other human beings so that my life continues to be filled with joy and those times when I feel depressed or sad, I can get out of those funks. So think about what does your future hold and how will you navigate your way through it? Thank you for listening to The Meanderings of a Librarian. See you next time.